Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to the Friday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News today. We're going to take you back to the summer of 2020. Yeah, the beginning of COVID. Yes, the tragic George Floyd death and those very destructive riots that occurred in urban places all across America. You remember them well. And we're going to go back to ground zero. You remember where that was, right? Minneapolis, where the original George Floyd protests and Black Lives Matter protests occurred. And we are going to have you find out, do people in Minneapolis, do particularly African-Americans in the African-American community, believe they're better off because of the Black Lives Matter protests, the riots, the damage that was done, the promises that BLM would help what happened? Well, guess what? A good friend of ours, a good partner of ours here at Just the News, the Capital Research Center, run by our good friend Scott Walker, he's the president, they went out and they did a documentary. They went out into the African-American communities in Minneapolis and asked those questions. Hey, did BLM help? Were those riots and protests meaningful? How's your community doing? And they put together a remarkable site at blmaftermath.com. Let me give you that again, blmaftermath.com. And we're going to spend the whole show talking to Scott about what his team found on the front lines of Minneapolis. And by the way, they're going to other places. We're going to find out where else in America they're going. But the whole show, we're just going to talk about There's a lot of amazing things to find out about this extraordinary BLM movement. Who gets the money? Where does it go? Who wins? Who loses? Are the communities in Minneapolis and elsewhere benefiting? You can hear it all right after this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. As you know, inside the Just the News DNA is a lot about investigative reporting, doing investigative work that brings good to the country by exposing things so that people, policymakers can fix it. And my next guest does this in the same fashion, but he does it under the umbrella of an extraordinary think tank. I think we like to call it America's investigative think tank. It is the Capital Research Center. And joining us right now is Scott Walter, the president of that uh, great group. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Great to be here. I'm very excited, and I really want to dig into this extraordinary uh, new video series that you've uh, launched. This uh, I would call it an investigative documentary about the BLM aftermath. If you folks, if you go to the URL blmaftermath.com, you're going to see what we're talking about. But before we get to that, and, and a good, we're going to educate the public today a lot about BLM and the truth about Minneapolis and other communities where BLM operates. I'd like to just have you describe a little bit about the work of the Capital Research Center. It's so impressive. Tell us a little bit, for those who have, may have not heard about or engaged yet, what the Capital Research Center does. Well, we, as you say, are America's investigative think tank. We are not a think tank that does regression analyses on economic <laughs> statistics and whatnot. Right. We are a think tank that digs into what is really happening uh, especially on the left. We use a mission statement of sorts that we investigate the left deeply and expose it widely because that story is just not being told by the mainstream media. And to be fair, even most conservatives don't begin to understand fully how the left is actually operating and what the interconnections are between the different groups and movements and activists and especially the funders. Uh, we focus a lot on the money trails of who is funding what. And I urge your listeners to check out influencewatch.org. That's sort of our online encyclopedia of the left. Yeah, that's a, that's a ready resource. And if you haven't seen it, folks, go check it out. It is a valuable resource. Whenever you're hearing a new group and you want to know what they really are, it's a great place to go. Now, one of the things that I, I when I think of Capital Research Center, I think about all the ways that you've been able to document how traditional organizations get captured, right, by special interests, by the left special interests, unions, environmental groups, a lot of these new nonprofits. We saw, you know, the Center for Tech and Civic Life crop up this year, Mark Zuckerberg in elections. You really are chronicling this phenomenon of political capture of what used to be mainstream organizations. Isn't that a big part of the movement today? Absolutely. And I would also add that the left concocts new front groups or new activist groups simply endlessly. I mean, not a week goes by that we, who, who live, eat, and breathe this 24-7, that either we or some friend of ours stumble across some yet new thing that's popped up. 
good information recently got, you know, people started talking about it, which is the really an expansion of courier newsrooms, which, you know, yeah. all these left wing fake news things, they just metastasize. It, it is amazing. And, uh, you know, the investment of, of someone like George Soros, I think he just announced uh, this week he's going to invest more in journalism. If people understand, well, how did the news media tilt to the left? The answer is a lot of money has flown that way. And I think the work that you've done and your team has done at Capital Research Center has really, really captured it. Now, another, I think, element that I like, because it's going to tie in, I think, a lot to the discussion we're about to have on Black Lives Matter is, the capture, when we talk about capture, it starts with an ideological capture. And, and that is, you know, trying to take over or influence organizations, whether it's the FBI, the State Department, corporate America. But there's a second element that you guys have done so much work on. In fact, I think the first time I heard this term, it was in conjunction with the Capital Research Center. And that is crony capitalism, that these left interest groups not only get their claws into because they want to change the ideological perspective and influence policy, a lot of these groups end up, or their players end up making a lot of money personally off of this capture. Is that a phenomenon that's still alive and well today? Absolutely. Um, my personal favorite related to Black Lives Matter is actually Angela Davis, who is, you know, to her 70s now, been around right. forever as a communist crank. And, you know, she's going to posh prep schools and getting like $20,000 speech fees to tell rich white liberals that, you know, they're evil. And I mean, it, it, it's an amazing racket. Yeah, it isn't just an ideological movement. It has such an enormous amount of business uh, behind it and people get rich you know, selling these ideological agendas. We just saw a recent example where, you know, uh, the curriculum for a lot of this uh, critical race theory in schools is is connected to a company uh, by for the brother-in-law of the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland's brother-in-law. And so there are businesses that seem to cash in when these ideological movements begin their capture in mainstream America. And you guys have, uh, you know, for a very long time been the leader in identifying and and educating America for that. And that's what brings us to our next point, this new documentary series. Uh, folks, if you haven't checked it out, go to blmaftermath.com. Now, we have in the header of our site, uh, you'll see a little link. You can click there. But if you're uh, away from your phone, you just want to remember this. Go to blmaftermath.com. You're going to see some extraordinary documentary work real voices of real people in the aftermath of the BLM protests last summer, what people really think, what really happened. It is a powerful visual experience. It really is an experience. Scott, tell us what was the inspiration for this project? Well, obviously, one of the biggest events in, in the last decade was the series of riots in 2020 connected with the Black Lives Matter movement. And the thing that we wanted to find out is what do the folks who actually live in the neighborhoods where the riots happened? Um, these are poor folks, largely people of color. What do they think about the Black Lives Matter movement and the riots and the rest? Are their lives better off now because of what happened in 2020? Do they see those Black Lives Matter leaders who were speaking in their names and still speak in their names? You know, what do they think of them? And we wanted just raw, unfiltered, local folks 
uh, views because, you know, I don't know what downtown Minneapolis is like. I don't right. live there and the rest. And so we went right to the source. And I can tell you that if you think the lefties and the mainstream media don't like white populists, you know, some farmer in Idaho or something, they are really not going to like black populists because that's exactly the phenomenon you have in these inner cities where the riots took place. They are not grateful to Black Lives Matter, and their black lives are not better because of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and that's the importance here, right? These aren't props. These aren't people that are activists. These are just everyday citizens. You walked around the community, your team did, and you interviewed people, and you got them to say, honestly, you know, a year later, a month later, are your lives better? What really happened in Minneapolis? Do you think BLM represents what the community needs or wants? We even consulted by BLM what you, a resident of uh, Minneapolis, wanted. And these interviews are so powerful because they're just everyday man and women on the street interviews. And you get a sense of the, the, you know, I used to always say as a journalist, the most important thing to do is to take the pulse of a community. You get an incredible pulse of the Minneapolis African-American community and what they really think about what happened the last year. Powerful, powerful stuff. Now, let me let me stop for a second. And let's if you guys have done so much work, help people understand what BLM and the organization really is, its origins, its mission, its ideological roots. People hear it. They see it. I was on a, a JetBlue plane the other day and several of the flight attendants had BLM buttons. So, you know, they're 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 ingrained in our culture and our, our as we see them. But a lot of people don't know the structure, history and ideology of the group. Could you give us a quick tutorial? I sure can. And folks who want to have a richer view, go to that influencewatch.org we just mentioned and just type in uh, Black Lives Matter and you'll pick up a bunch of the different entities because believe me, it, it's confusing and I should add intentionally uh, confusing and obscured. But I think the simple way to have the narrative is it's 20, in 2013, you had the Trayvon Martin death. Trayvon Martin's a teenage uh, teenager who's a black kid, a Hispanic neighborhood watch guy, shoots him. He says in self-defense, um, and that's what the jury found, that it was in self-defense. Uh, but the radical black activists uh, responded that, you know, this is an outrage, uh, and, you know, that, that, that the, the shooter wasn't uh, convicted. So that is really the spark for the whole thing. And these three uh, black ladies who were really the founders of the BLM movement, they coined the Black Lives Matter phrase and hashtag and went on to build BlackLivesMatter.com, which is uh, you know, the most popular website connected with all of this. Then in the next year, 2014, you have another shooting, and that's Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Now, this was more clear cut uh, that it was not an injustice because he, Michael Brown, lunged for a cop's gun, and the cop shot him absolutely in self-defense. That even the Obama Justice Department had no disagreement there because it was so obvious that cops attacked, black teen is shot by cop, not an outrage. But you'll remember there were days of riots in Ferguson. There were. Stirred up by all this because they, you know, all they care is, you know, one dead black man, we're going to exploit him for our movement. And they, they bust 
dozens and dozens uh, of different left-wing groups bust hundreds and hundreds of people into Ferguson and for days and days of riots. Some of them were renomobs, you know, where literally they were advertising on Craigslist, like, you know, we'll give you money for a month's rioting in Ferguson. But anyway, that was a big boost to the movement. And it's around that time, 2014, 2015, that you start having the institutional left jump in with both feet on this. And you get the creation of something called Movement for Black Lives, which is sort of an umbrella group that brings in a bunch of other lefty groups to get behind this this movement, because those lefty groups already existed, but they are opportunistic, right? Hey, this is sexy. This is getting headlines, attention. So we're going to boost this movement. Now, what was behind it was really the Ford Foundation, um, which is one of the more oh yeah, one of the blue chips of the, in America, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I I remind people. Everybody thinks of George Soros, and he's big and bad. But you have to understand there are a lot of other lefty billionaires, a lot of other Soroses, and most of them have the same last name, Foundation. And certainly, the Ford Foundation is as important as Soros and as and as least as bad as Soros in what it's done to America. So they can, they're starting to fund this movement for black lives. Now, intriguingly, a lot of the other blue chip foundations, you know, your MacArthur's and whatnot, didn't jump in at this point because these people were so radical that even pretty left-wing foundations, um, and even after the Ford Foundation sort of essentially given its blessing, they still were hesitant to fund such wild-eyed radicals. And um, I would add, speaking of this, the movement for black lives, it didn't have its own existence as an independent nonprofit. It was a fiscally sponsored project of something called Alliance for Global Justice. Now, that's a nutty left-wing group. It funneled money to the Occupy Wall Street movement, for instance. But my personal favorite is that it has gushing things on its website about North Korea. So I think it's safe to say you don't get any more left-wing wow. nutty than, than fawning over North Korean communist tyranny, right? I mean, you can't make this up. They, they'd throw you out of the subtle fiction writer's league if you stuck this in a novel. Yeah, but, people wouldn't believe it. They would think it was a comedy movie. Yeah, a slapstick. Yeah, yeah but right. It's all, it's all true. So, And then you have the other major uh, BLM entity created also in those in the mid uh, 2010s and that's the black lives matter global network foundation and that too didn't have its own independent existence it was cloaked as a project of other left-wing nonprofits the first left-wing nonprofit where it was is something called thousand currents and that was embarrassing because as we pointed out one of the co-chairs of that nonprofit is Susan Rosenberg, who's a convicted domestic terrorist. She was part of this late yeah. 60s, 70s People radical group that. blowing yeah. bombs up in Cap on Capitol Hill. Right. So anyway, then it switched from there to the Tides Foundation, which, of course, is a famous, gigantic left wing empire of its own. Yeah, it's like a clearinghouse uh, for about, all the left uh, charities to kind of run their money through, right? Their management of their money. Exactly. Yeah. And again, you're so you look at this, the, the money gets hidden multiple ways. The Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation doesn't have a um, it doesn't have its own independent 
legal existence, so it would have to report things like board members, expenses, travel, you know, what they spent on travel, blah, blah. It's all hidden in this stuff. And the donors themselves get to hide, too, because they they don't donate to Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. They donate to tides, and you so you can't trace that. Right. So it's, it's, you, you might even call it dark money. Um, I've heard that term but, before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, that's not true. Some right-winger uh, created dark money in a lab in Wuhan. Oh, yeah, I see. I should know better by now. <laughs> so anyway, now I will give them credit. They have just this past year, finally, the Black Lives, the, the Global Network Foundation, they have split off and become their own entity. So in a couple of years from now, I'll be able to tell you what they've put on their disclosure forms because it'll take a couple of years right. for those to show up. That's one of the but things they, people they don't realize. There can be a two-year gap before you really get transparency on these expenditures. Exactly. Now, I will say, speaking of the Global Network Group, though, that's the one run by, or well, originally run by those three uh, black ladies who were essentially the, the initial leaders of all this. Now, one of them is Patrice Colors, and we all know she got named executive director of this entity. Uh, and then she didn't last a whole year because her millions and millions of dollars of real estate she bought for herself and her family came out and looked a little bad, kind of like, gee, maybe maybe this is just a racket, right? So she had to resign in disgrace. Yeah. And the other thing that's happening there is that, you know, there have been Black Lives Matter chapters in various cities, but th- 10 of those chapters attacked this group because guess what? They weren't really seeing money. They weren't really being consulted, et cetera. So that, that's the real theme of these movies that we've started that's making so important. and of the left. It's, you know, on the one hand, are they sincere, crazy left-wing ideologues? Yeah, probably. At the same time, are they also just, you know, racketeers making uh, fast, easy money off of other people's sufferings? Yeah, that's true, too. This is one of the things that really comes through in the series, and and it really struck me. Uh, You know, maybe a lot of people think, you know, the conditions of the African-American community, uh, decades of problems in schools, economic opportunity, uh, maybe left some of the urban areas for other places. So maybe people have legitimately given this money and they're just hoping that BLM drops it into these communities and lift these communities up, in which case, you know, maybe we'd all be satisfied. You really see in this video series the fact that how much of the money that goes here, does it actually get to the community? Well, according to the folks who live there that we spoke to, forget it. Yeah, they haven't that's seen the big thing. They haven't seen a dime, right? Yeah. Yes. There are not new businesses opening up because they got seed capital. There are not people who got job training and help with, you know, finding employment. In fact, completely the opposite. Because those places are, you know, had such devastation wrought upon them, um, our film shows that, you know, there's a there's a black woman who's a hairstylist. She was going to start a shop uh, in that neighborhood. And, you know, she had a loan lined up to be able to do it. And then, of course, the riots happened and forget it. There's another guy we talked to. He had a going concern. He had a rest, a soul food restaurant right down there. Well, guess what? There ain't no soul food restaurant there anymore. Wow. Um, I mean, it it's just disgusting really when you think about the way these poor people's suffering i mean i'm not saying there's never been a uh, a bad cop in this neighborhood of course 
you know, now, mind you, it's not easy to be a cop in a neighborhood like that, but there are good and bad cops. Absolutely. And there have been things that are bad uh, and there's real suffering there from the cops and all kinds of other problems. But this isn't anything like a proper solution. The only solution this is, is it's a solution for guilt ridden, rich, white liberals uh, to feel like, well, gosh, I gave money and I did a good thing. Or for some company's PR department to say, oh, we can burnish our image by throwing a a few million in this direction. And nobody gives a damn whether it actually helped poor people of color in those neighborhoods yeah. or in fact harmed them, made their lives worse. Yep. No, it's, it is remarkable. So let me ask you this question because I think your team is the first to answer this question in the video series. If it's not going to the communities, right? If it's not seeding new businesses, if it's not propping up those that were harmed by COVID in the, in the summer of violence and that, where is this money going? The, and the answer is to the gigantic left-wing activist infrastructure, which does two things. One, it means you're enriching folks like old Patrice Colors there with her millions of dollars of nice white neighborhood uh, real estate. And you're enriching the activist groups to, to keep the cycle going, right? They're just going to keep, uh, you know, opportunistically, whenever something happens that's bad or even isn't bad, but can be made to look bad, um, they'll just be shaken down corporations and foundations uh, for yet more money. It's a hamster wheel of an operation here. Wow. It's, it's, uh, these are, this is the stuff. Listen, when you get past the rhetoric, you get past the emotion or the ideology, these are the facts that need to matter. People need to see, hey, where did my money go? Who's benefiting from that money? And when you watch these very cogent citizens in uh, Minneapolis tell you what really happened and what little they've gotten from all of that flash protest, uh, you begin to see that, hey, there's an illusion here. It isn't what we thought it was. And I think that's one of the really the great public services of this video. Now, let me ask you, uh, somewhere in early earlier this year, I think it was, the Movement for Black Lives website had a new project. It was identifying itself, whether we're discussing it was called, I think the uh, Common Council Foundation what is that and what is its role in this infrastructure that you've now put together? Well, you know, John, there's so many of these different entities that I am off the top of my head. I'm uh, I'm forgetting about the Common Council, but I assume it's a way to share the wealth with other left wing entities. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, every day we're starting to see these. there's a, a network upon a network upon a network and it gets hard to follow the money, right? Because it keeps jumping and moving and, and being shared around in a merry ground. Sometimes it's, it's really, really amazing. Yeah, you go into this community and obviously you've captured some very dramatic, uh, very uh, personal interviews. I mean, that, what's really uh, important about this project is you, you really feel the person, right? You get the sense of their frustration, their despair, their sense of having been hoodwinked a little bit. How hard was it to get into this community to try to investigate what happened? What sort of response did you get? Were there any obstacles, any any opportunities that surprised you when you, when you got into the community? Well, we are lucky. It's uh, The credit really goes to our gifted filmmaker, Jeremy Siegel, um, because for uh, years now, he has worked to gain the trust of grassroots activists in multiple cities. And it was the fact that he had these pre-existing relationships with the, the genuine local activists who are actually trying to make their neighborhoods better by, for instance, 
they were protecting the police headquarters in Minneapolis. Wow. You know, because from while the they looters, know right? And the people who firebomb, right? They also know that, that shutting down the police is only going to make their lives worse. Yeah. No. So, so that's the, that's the valuable thing. And, and this is the other thing to, to, to say that, you know, we can, all of us conservatives need to think about. On the one hand, Anybody living in these neighborhoods, and certainly the, the good activists trying to make lives better in those neighborhoods rather than just become celeb- rich celebrities, those folks, you know, they know that these lefties are not going to help them. They've, you know, this, is a, this, sadly, is a story that they've seen over and over yeah. again where sympathy pimps, as Tom Sowell calls them, right. you know, will come in and, and exploit this. But you know, they don't see conservatives very often coming uh, to help them either. So they're suspicious of everybody. And it, it takes years to build up trust with with these kinds of, of folks. And, uh, you know, one a friend of mine is a great black activist now in his 80s, Bob Woodson. Oh, yes, He's a good friend of this show. Yeah. Yeah. He has been a good friend of Capital Research Center, too. In fact, he recorded a great little video we did on what are the problems with Black Lives Matter that we did last year. But, uh, you know, Bob is taught me everything I know about this world because he spent his whole life, almost a century, trying, you know, starting with the, with the original civil rights era all the way to today, trying to identify and lift up these great local leaders, but, you know, not enough of the conservative world. Yeah. We, don't, we don't actively exploit them the way the lefties yeah. do, we but we also ball, don't do can argue. Yeah. to help them. And we should because this will be devastating to the left. The left lives off of all these myths that, you know, it's, it's the evil white Republicans or conservatives that, you know, they've caused the suffering in the communities, which, of course, the folks know that's nonsense and that's just an exploitative myth. But we should be doing more to help because the left will collapse if things actually get better. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, the, the left's self-justifying myth will crumble. And, you know, the, the left has had 60 years to show that its program could work. And, and these communities are in the same cycle of where they were. Now, obviously, race relations and voting rights, all those things have improved enormously. But the, the cycle of economic failure, uh, the, the generations of students who are trapped in, in failing schools, uh, the violent cycle, uh, it just it hasn't been alleviated by all of these billions of dollars of donations and government spending. And there's an enormous opportunity. I, you know, Bob Woodson was on maybe about a month or so ago on one of the TV specials I did. And he said, the truth of the matter, matter is that there's a bunch of race hustlers and their rhetoric has been designed and their, and their show has been designed to distract you from the fact that the policies they advocated haven't worked, not for 10 years or 20 years, but an entire half century. And, you know, when you talk about the sympathy pimps, he talks about the race hustlers. That is the, that's the scheme. All of the emotion and all of the stage theater is designed to distract from the fact that the policies that the left have implemented simply hasn't changed the dynamic. Is there a big opportunity for conservative America to engage the black American community and offer them a different path for economic prosperity, economic opportunity, better schools? I think so. And, and the, the only thing I will say is that we, you know, we have to understand they've been exploited by people saying they were coming in to help them so yeah, many times. That's right. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, they don't well, a lot of it. They don't need anybody to tell them, you know, you guys need jobs. Well, they know that. Um, well, you guys need safe neighborhoods. They know that. 
So, uh, you know, anybody who wants to help should start by listening and should start by working with folks like Bob Woodson, who can who can make the connections with the good local folks. Because, again, they agree with an enormous amount of, you know, our most basic principles like work is good, safe communities are good, family is good. In fact, by the way, that's a classic BLM thing that, that, that is causing locals to be hostile to BLM. And that is that, of course, BLM isn't even, isn't even really focused on the cop stuff. Their single greatest excitement and the, among the BLM leaders and whatnot is on LGBT issues. Wow. Um, well, that doesn't fly in in local. They, those communities may have struggles to keep families together, but they know right. that family is critical, and they're not on board for any of that stuff. I mean, hell, it was black voters that helped enact Proposition Eight in California uh, yeah. to you know to make traditional marriage right. <laughs> the, the the rule of law in Cal- in California. For God's sake, yeah, yeah so, people forget that. Yeah. Yeah, whereas the BLM leaders are mostly themselves identify as LGBT and and care a lot more about that than they do about cops, much in inner cities, much less about much less about jobs and safety in inner cities. Such an important point to that there's a lot of disconnect between the value system that BLM is trying to instill in the community and what the black American community really wants, right? Uh, they want to talk about this, but you know, we want jobs, we want better schools, we want better safety. There's such a disconnect. It almost, almost feels like a, a really bad Hollywood movie when you, when you see how far off the two centers are from each other. Now, when you look at what you've already created, and again, folks, you have an opportunity to go check this out. It is so easy to do. The URL is easy to remember, BLM Aftermath. Com. Go check it out. I want to ask, what impact do you think watching these real conversations with real people in the aftermath of the BLM movement in Minneapolis, what impact do you hope it's going to have on the American conversation? Well, one thing is that I care about is we're going to be working hard to have this go throughout the uh, African-American and urban communities themselves because they need to see that some conservative group, in fact, is paying attention to them and is not telling them anything, but listening to them, letting them tell us about their lives, what they need, what their problems are. Um, so that's one critical thing I care deeply about. The other thing is, of course, among the, you know, uh, among the elite public policy focused world in America, I want to make it impossible for the mainstream media to keep regurgitating the left wing activists lies. I want to destroy the credibility of uh, the fake news purveyors that, you know, oh, well, it's all bad cops. And if we just defunded the cops or we just massively expanded government programs like that's that is not uh, true at all. And the folk that you left wing media are holding up as the saviors of these things are just frauds and hucksters. I think I love that term Bob came up with, the race hustlers. It just, when you think it through, you get to understand what he's really talking about. And he knows, I mean, this is a man that was alongside Martin Luther King and John Lewis, and he was fighting for civil rights when it was an essential issue in America in the 60s. But he began to realize by the late 70s and 80s that uh, there was a group of people that were trying to sustain the race narrative, as it were, uh, trying to freeze it in 1960, because it was a good business for them, when in fact, 
Bob began to realize the real opportunity was economic opportunity, creating empowerment so that people could escape the communities and grow and get to the middle class and get to the jobs. And he diverged from the very people that he had worked with because he thought they were frozen in time, maybe for financial interest, when what he wanted was a better life for the very people that he had fought for in the 60s. It's such an amazing thing. Now, Minneapolis is ground zero. It is the... uh, you know, the epicenter for this first video series, very powerful, very cogent. But I'm wondering, is this a back to the future type trilogy here? There are so many other cities that were hit by these devastating riots that have had the BLM uh, infantry come in and and, and, and invade their community and try to change the dialogue. Uh, Are you planning to go to other communities? Are you already in other communities investigating what's happened elsewhere in America? Absolutely. We want to make uh, a series of these. The next one is we're expecting to be in Chicago, another wow. deeply troubled city, and uh, and one where our wonderful filmmaker Jeremy Siegel has uh, already has really solid network there as well. And then you know there's as you say there's there's an endless. I mean you could make fifty of these. I, we won't get that high, but we'll definitely go to multiple cities and let. The people themselves tell their story. As I said, that's what I so love about this video that we've already done, and it's the way we're going to do the whole series. This is not us telling you, the viewer, what to think. This is unfiltered local leaders telling all of us what's going on in their neighborhoods and what the aftermath of the Black Lives Matter riots really were. Yeah, such important, I'd call it journalism work. Unfortunately, my profession doesn't do enough of this. And so that's why we're so lucky to have what the Capital Research Center is doing, uh, the investigative think tank. I love that uh, title. It's a a great one. Uh, As we head out here, I want to ask Scott real quickly, how do people follow the other work? We've mentioned some important URLs today, right? The blmaftermath.com. That's important to get the video series. It is great television watching. It's Netflix quality. And you, you feel like you're on the street right there. The way it's shot, the way the interviews are done, you feel like you're in the conversation yourself. It's a tremendous thing. You've mentioned influencewatch.com. That's a great resource for if you hear a new group and you're wondering what they're up to, put them in there. It's like the Google of the uh, liberal NGO uh, uh, world, and you can get some really quick data, educate yourself so that you're smarter on it. What are some other important ways that people can follow your work, the work of your team, the Capital Research Center? Well, our main site is capitalresearch.org, and you can sign up for a weekly newsletter to get the highlights of our research week by week on on the whole left-wing world. We also have a Capital Research Center YouTube page. So just go to YouTube and type in Capital Research Center. We have hours and hours and hours of videos on everything imaginable, Zuckbucks and the Ford Foundation and George Soros and uh, as I said, Bob Woodson's great little three-minute video on Black Lives Matter, you know, what his problems with it are. There's also a series on there I'm, I love called Architects of Woke that talks about some of the big leaders in the woke movement. Terrific one. There's one on Angela Davis, for instance, who's sort of the den mother of right. Black Lives Matter. There's one on Stokely Carmichael who invented institutional racism or systemic racism. And what an appalling person he what an enemy of Martin Luther King and an appalling person yeah. he was. Because, again, these people are just frauds. That's the 
you know, the bottom line, they're fraud. What's really amazing about the current moment in BLM is the argument they make is 100% opposite the argument that Martin Luther King made when he said he was more concerned. He wanted, he longed for a day when people wouldn't look at the color of your skin first. They would look at the character of the person inside. And, and the debate has been flipped on its head. The goal now is to judge everything by the color of skin and make predetermination. I can't imagine the MLK, the great Martin Luther King, the great moment at the Lincoln Memorial, him being able to embrace this new kind of almost uh, inverted uh, philosophy of, of the movement he started. Uh, did You seem to pick that up right in the community. A lot of people are, are in, inside this community have figured out that Martin Luther King's movement's been turned on its head by BLM, right? Well, exactly. I mean, th- they know that their worst exploiters are black like them. Wow. It's not white folks. It's, it's, it's black folks uh, that are exploiting them. Uh, and, you know, coming in and destroying their neighborhood. I mean, my God, the Ku Klux Klan in its most depraved dreams couldn't have imagined doing the harm to black neighborhoods that the BLM riots did. Yeah, no, it's so amazing. Well, we have a lot more to look forward to, Scott. We, We can't wait for the next video series. This video series, watch it once, watch it twice, watch it three times. Every time you watch it, I found a different voice starts to reverberate in my head. One, a different character from this community. You start to realize, wow, the media got this story wrong. There's such a disconnect. Uh, it is, it's a travesty of, of public information to realize how different the real narrative is on the streets of Minneapolis from the media in the latest contrived narrative that we were force fed last year and in, even into this year. Scott, congratulations. This is a, a, such an important public service as so much of your work is, but this one really is. And and uh, I can't wait for the Chicago. I can't wait for the next other uh, cities. I, I can imagine I've spent a lot of time in Atlanta recently and boy, I picked up some vibes that it's going on there. And you know, there's some distrust of the Stacey Abrams voter rights movement. There seems to be such enormous opportunity, and you guys are opening everyone's eyes with this great work. So congratulations. Well, thanks so much, John. It's been great talking with you. Absolutely. This is an important conversation. And share this podcast, folks. Share those URLs I gave you because this is very valuable. Scott, we're going to have you back soon. A lot more to follow up on this great topic. Look forward to it. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, so much to digest. Just think about what you just heard. We're going to wrap things up for the weekend in just a few seconds. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, what an extraordinary day. Great conversation with Scott Walker. Scott has been 
a remarkable investigator. You know, what makes Capital Research Center so amazing is that it's basically an investigative think tank. We're an investigative news organization. They're an investigative think tank. A lot of extraordinary information that they put out there, whether it's on Influence Watch, their own site, and of course now, the place you're all going to go, blmaftermath.com. Go check out the interviews. They're just really interesting. They're very conversational. You feel the real honest assessments of African Americans in Minneapolis, and we're going to see other cities soon, but in this first series, did Minneapolis really get better because of the Black Lives Matters protests? Go listen to these people. Make up your own mind. That's why we have this podcast. It's why we have Just the News. We get you facts, interviews, data, documents, and then you go and you make up your mind after you watch it. That's what we're here for. All right. Have a great weekend. Now, tomorrow is Saturday. I don't normally do a podcast, but on Saturday, we're going to do something special. It is getting to the holidays. It's getting to Veterans Day, and we're going to bring in a good friend and partner of the show, Omaha Steaks. And their CEO is going to be here for the whole time. And we're going to talk about supply chain, food, holidays. And we're going to launch something special here at Just the News. You know how much veterans mean to me. They mean a ton. And Veterans Day is coming up. And I want to do something special. I want to posit the idea that we get as many uh, listeners as we can from Just the News and from John Solomon Reports and the other podcasts go out and buy a steak package from Omaha Steaks and send it to a veteran. You're going to get a crazy discount, 50% off plus a 10% discount on top of that for the package. And we have a special package we have that we think veterans will love. If you have a veteran in your family, among your friends, at the workplace, in your professional lives, private lives, this is a moment to say thank you to them. And tomorrow we're going to discuss how you can do that. We're also going to tell you the story of Omaha Steaks. You know why? Because they were the original Amazon. That's right. In the 1950s, they started mail delivery and food delivery. Boy, that was way ahead of their time. And they're still doing it great today. I get a box on my stoop every month or two, fill up my freezer with it. We're going to help some veterans fill up their freezer. We're going to say thank you. We're going to surprise them. We're going to tell you all about it tomorrow. So we're going to do a special Saturday edition of John Solomon Reports. Be there. You're going to love it. It'll be fun. I know you're going to be hungry. I got hungry just thinking about doing this, but it's going to be a fun special live interview. Going to be a lot of fun. In the meantime, go check out all the great work that Scott Walter and the Capital Research Center are doing. Really appreciate you listening to it. I think you probably learned a lot about Black Lives Matter and the aftermath. We, we leave we go to the next news story it's great to go back to a committee and find out what really happened did life get better you decide if you watch the videos at blmaftermath.com all right have a great weekend god bless you and god bless this amazing country the united states of america he always has you've been listening to john solomon reports the podcast from just the news